How many of us have been enjoying the teachings on pride? You know, this week, eh, I came across a scripture, and then it shocked me. You know, sometimes we think that we know. You know, sometimes it's like we think we know a lot of stuff. But this scripture made me understand knowing in a different angle. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. The Bible says that, and if any man think that he knoweth anything, let me read the New King James because you are in the modern era. Uh, okay, it's there. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Amen. So as I read this scripture, one thing came to mind that you see, sometimes we think that we know. But we don't know it the way that we ought to know. So the Bible is not saying that you don't know at all. You know, at least you know something. So for instance, the topic of pride that we've been treating is that it's as if no, we don't know that if somebody is proud, you know. At least we have our own indicators of knowing how somebody is proud. And most times, those indicators exclude us. Have you realized? Most times, it's like we, we are able to easily identify that, oh, person A or person B is proud. But we ourselves, we don't use the same marking scheme for ourselves. So the Bible is telling us that if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. As he ought. As in how we are supposed to know. Probably we don't know it that well. And do you know how we will get to know that we don't know it as it is? Because if we know how it is, we will live according to how it's supposed to be. Amen. So the teachings from pride, personally, it has been a blessing unto me. A blessing unto me. One of the points that we've made about when nothing is your fault. I said, hey, you know, if sometimes we find ourselves in a situation, the first thing that we always want to do is find somebody to blame. Because it's like all the things that are happening, it cannot come from us. We cannot be the fault. And we always want to, and that one alone has been ministering to me for a very long time. So now, when something happens, the first thing I want to say, I want to ask myself, what have I done to, or to also contribute to it? It's not always the case that somebody did 800%. So that one alone is a, it's a, it's like a check on us. Amen. But today, I want us to consider the benefits of being committed. The benefits. The benefits of being committed. You know, this year, by the inspiration of God, is our year, Reverend, through the inspiration of God, made us understand that this is our year of what? Total commitment. Total, total commitment. And today, I want us to talk about the benefits of being committed. The benefits, the benefits. I believe that in everything, there is a benefit. You know, benefits, whether you are doing the right thing or the wrong thing, there are benefits that come with it. So, if, for instance, you are, let's say, you are smoking, there are benefits of smoking. Do you know that? The benefits is not always positive. Benefits is the outcome of what you are doing. Yes, what you do, what comes out of it. So it's the benefits or the, the results that you get. That's how come when you are buying the, the cigarette, this thing, they write on it that smoking. Initially it was smoking can be harmful. Initially. But now the laws have been made so straight that they say, right, smoking kills. It's not can. You know when you say can, it means that it's like there is a probability. 
But now they are saying that smoking kills. And sometimes, if you've seen some of them, see that sometimes they will put somebody's leg that has had some cancer of the something. Oh, I'm the only one. Yes. See that they will put, and still, people, will, because there is a benefit that they get. You know, some people feel good when they smoke. It's like when they are, they are, they are at the workplace and they have not smoked for a while, suddenly they begin to become some way. So they have to take some five minutes and go and feel good and come back. But in that thing, there are benefits. Amen. Amen. So in commitment to, there are benefits of commitment. There are benefits. Commitment to God, there are benefits. Commitment to the church, there are benefits. Even commitment to our relationship, there are benefits. But today we want to narrow to commitment to God and commitment to the church. What are some of the benefits that we will get? You know, when we were studying about commitment, one of the points that we ever made us understand is that in this world, every area or everybody or every institution is looking for committed people. Have you realized it? If you are not committed at your work, you will be sacked. There's no two ways about it. There's no way we are going to, your boss, will going to, your boss is going to call you and try to sort of advise you and make you understand that you see, you have to be committed to the job because if you are committed, I will get profit. And when I get profit, I will get, be able to pay you your salary. Your boss will not do that. All that your boss will do is that once you, once you, you are supposed to start at nine and you come at 12, you do it one, two, three, then you are sent. It's, 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 not, it's, it's, it's an unwritten rule. So the same thing also happens with God. You know, sometimes it's like we try as much as possible to be committed in every area. But it's like when it comes to church, it's like we want to reduce the standard. Or when it comes to the things of God, we want to reduce the standard and say, that, oh, that one, we don't need to put in that much commitment. You get it. But sometimes, probably, we might not even know some of the benefits that come with it. So today, I want us to consider one about six of the benefits that comes with being committed to God and being committed with the things of God and being committed to the church. You get it? The being committed to God in one way or the other comes with being committed to the church. It's like being a student. Anytime somebody says, I'm a student, the next question is, like, where are you a student? You get it? You cannot say you're a student and you're, you're a student of nowhere. You, you are a student, there's an attachment somewhere. So that's why I'm talking about benefits of being committed to God and it also goes as benefits of being committed to the church. Amen. Amen. The first point that I want us to consider is that our lives are transformed when we are committed. Our lives. Our lives. Our lives are transformed. Our lives are transformed when we are committed to God. Our lives are transformed. Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Can you be on the 19 for me, please? Then he said to them, follow me, follow me, and I will make you. Follow me, and I will make you. Follow me. You know, there is always 
an opportunity for a change in the way we see things when we follow God or when we become committed to him. You know, and in this verse, he's saying that follow me and I will make you. you. You let's leave even the fishes of men. Let's leave that side and make it follow me and I will make you. So today God is telling all of us that follow me, be committed to me and I will make you. I will make you. And that I will make you, you can put whatever you want at the end of it. In the case of Peter, it was fishes of men. But in our case, it could be anything. God is telling us that follow me, be committed to me, and I will make you. I will make you. And you see that in the journey of the disciples with Jesus Christ, there was a transformation that was taking place. There was a change that was taking place. I always say that each and every one of us, by virtue of our background, by virtue of our education, by virtue of our qualification, by virtue of certain character traits that we have and all that, there are certain things that we cannot do. You get it? There are certain things that automatically, by virtue of where we come from, we cannot do. Or by virtue of some of the character traits that we've picked or some of the things that we've put ourselves into and some of the things that we are addicted to and all those things, we cannot do. You know, in the days of Jesus, Peter was a fisherman. And from the little account that I know, fisherman by virtue of everything is like somebody who has not schooled, who's not been to school, does not know much. And those that knew something were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were lawyers, they were doctors, they were all those people. And here is the case that Jesus was telling them that, you know, follow me. You just follow me, be committed to me, and I will make you. You see, it's not anything as to how he's going to make us. It is not any of our concern. But all that we have to do is to follow. But that is the most difficult thing for us also to do. To follow. Because as in our quick world that we find ourselves now, most times we want to see, oh, what is in this for me? What, do, what can this thing get me? What, what am I going to get at? Because, you know, we just want to calculate. That's why we go for interview and we finish everything. You, you, the question you want to ask is that. So, can we talk about my salary? Because that one is very, very important, you know. Yes, that's, that's how we are wired. It's a very good thing. It's a very good thing that we always want to know the results. In the case of Peter and his brother, Jesus told them that I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I also know that when we also become committed to God, one of the things that God will make us is that we also become fishers of men. Yes, all of us. It, you know, there's no... Jesus, when he came, decided to pick certain types of people just to prove a point. You get it? Just to let us know that, because, you know, if God had gone to pick certain types of people with some, some characters and all those things, at the end of the day, he said, oh, but before me, I was coming, me, I was a, I was a doctor of the law. Or better so, I was a doctor. I knew the law. I knew, I knew, I knew a lot of things. So, me coming, it's not that God has done anything for me. Jesus decided to go and pick ordinary people. And you and I, we don't need any extraordinary qualification for God to use us. All that we need to do is to just commit to him. Commit fully. Fully. Just be committed to him. And when we say commitment, what are some of the things we are looking at? Commitment in terms of the word. Commitment in terms of prayer. Commitment in terms of attendance to church. Commitment in terms of finding something to do in church. All those things are very, very important. 
Amen. Amen. You know, when you flip it on the other side, when Paul had an encounter with Jesus on Damascus, I think it's Acts chapter 9. Paul was a learned man. Very, very learned. He knew, he knew Hebrew. He knew, he knew the Greek. He knew all those things. You know. But one thing phenomenal happened. When, G, when he had an encounter with Jesus, Jesus had to make him blind. And that blind made what, what God was trying to make him understand that I'm making you blind to the things that you know. I'm blinding your eye to the things that you know. And I'm now going to open your eye to the things that I want you to know. Because most times it's like we are coming to God and we are coming, it's, it's like we are going to show God what to do. No. There's no way we can show God until we, we, we allow God to blind our eyes of the things that we know is supposed to be. Because you and I know that we've been trying our own methods if it was supposed to work. By now it should have worked. You get it? So, our lives are transformed. And this is the evidence of it. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. When the apostles had, the disciples had walked with Jesus for a very long time. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You see, when Jesus picked them initially in Matthew, he said, you just follow me. Just, you just follow me. Be committed to me. Just follow me. Just be around. Be committed. Do what I say do. Peter was not a very, very, very confident man. Not at all. He was not. Do you know how you know that he was not confident? When Jesus was able to, t- t- when Jesus told him that, lay the net here and you get fish and you got fish. He said, he told Jesus that please go. I'm, I'm, I'm not a clean man. He, his self-worth was even very low. He did not really respect him. He really did not have that self-confidence. And that's how most of us are. It's like, we really don't think that any good thing or any proper or better thing can come out from you and I. But it's okay. Because that's what God specializes in. You know, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he said, he picks, you know, the things that are in this world, they consider not to be good. Then God transforms it. Because if, if there's no transformation, we will always say that, oh, it was because of me, 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 me. God does not want to share his glory with any man. So even if you are coming and you think that you are qualified, there is a blinding that needs to take place. So that when you come, it will be like about God and God alone. And the transformation is something that will be made visible. Everybody will see. Everybody will see. You get it? Peter and they, they, they were very, they did not, if there's any word like faithless, they did not have faith at all. You remember when Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000 people? They were asking constructive questions. They were asking questions that you and I would have asked. We have five loaves of bread and two fishes. Let's be serious. How do we share five loaves of bread and two fishes among all these people? <laughs> even among the 12 of us, we cannot even share it among ourselves. But as they walked with Jesus, Jesus was correcting them. Jesus was training. You know, at a point, Jesus rebuked Peter, told him that, get thee behind me, Satan. All those are part of when we decide to commit. Because I believe that even when we have decided to be committed to the things of God and we are committed to the things of God, at a point in time, maybe Reverend Chris will call you and rebuke you. But it's all part of the training. Maybe he will shout at you. But if once you've decided to commit and you've decided to do it, you will take it in good faith. 
that's why we learned about pride, you know. Because sometimes it's like, you see, that's why me, I don't want to come to church. You come to church and people will just be talking to you anyhow. If I stayed in my house, would you have gotten the privilege to come and talk to me? That way? It's part of it, please. It's part of it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So the first one is that our lives are transformed. The second one is that we become committed by our commitment. We become anointed. Sorry, we become anointed by our commitment. We become anointed. You know, in our world today, we are made to understand that like anointing is supposed to come by some strange ways. You know, we give you five steps to the anointing. Maybe, maybe you have to wake up at 2.30 every morning and pray. At, oh, I know some, some people that decide to pray at specific time. It's, I'm not saying it's wrong, but they think that when you pray at that time, then that is the time that something will happen. Personally, I don't know whether it's true or not. But one of the ways that we can become anointed, become so anointed, is by our commitment and our service to God. And, you know, sometimes when you say that, oh, we want to become anointed by a commitment, probably you think that, oh, the person that leads the prayer or the person that leads the worship or the person that stands on the platform that we say that, oh, those people are, no. It could just even be the person that cleans the toilet. By virtue of doing it consistently, consistently, you, you, are, you are not somebody who, is, who does it like, I do it today, I do it next three weeks, no. Consistently, you will be anointed. Amen. Amen. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 10. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 10. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord God, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that he may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, and the, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Amen. You know, the king was trying to find out that is there no any anointed man of God around this area? Is there no anybody who hears and hears and is able to tell? Is there not anybody who is able to declare the oracles of God for everybody to know? You know, sometimes we want to make it look very, very some strange. But one of the servants said, oh, we really don't know. All that we know is that there is Elisha, the son of Japhat. In fact, he is not a prophet. He is not. He was just somebody who was pouring water on the hands of Elijah. He was just pouring water. You know, it's not a very, it's a very ordinary job. Have you realized? Pouring water is not the same as leading prayer, is it? Yes. Pouring water in our days might be somebody who is like an usher. You know, sometimes we in ourselves are able to create. Have you not realized? Oh, we all do it, please. We, we are able to grade people by virtue of the things that we think they do in church. And by their grading, say that, oh, this person's more anointed. Because probably most times they put prayer there. So, oh, this person is anointed because. 
But the Bible is making us understand that the person, what he was actually doing, was pouring water. Is it a very difficult job? Pouring water on the hands of the prophet. So you see that if Reverend Gloria or Reverend Chris calls you to the office and say that, oh, I want you to do this for me. Anytime that they say that, let this scripture come to mind. This is my opportunity to pour water. This is my also, my time, my, my opportunity to also pour water. And in your pouring of water, which seems like a very ordinary and normal activity, you'll be anointed. Amen. 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 I'm just reading the scripture. Unless what I'm, what I'm saying is not in the scripture. I, mean, I always want to read the scripture and take it as it is and let us all look at it. So that it's not be like, oh, I said it. And The Bible said that just when they said that the person poured water on the hands of Elijah, the king said, mm, the word of God is with him. Go and get it. You get it. The whole thing is that most times our acts that we do, maybe just be a pouring of water. But you see, there will be training that will be going on. There will be opportunities for you to encounter the man of God. There will be opportunities for you to learn. How many of us have learned a lot by just virtue of being close to Heaven Christ and Heaven Gloria? You get it. And we are learned, and sometimes you are like, ah. see that you yourself, before and after, or with or without. You see, with, before and after analysis, we do it before and after. See that before you became committed, and after you became committed. That's why I say that ah, this thing, if it was my. If it was me like some some ten years ago or some five years ago, I would have uh-huh, then times. If if I was in my elements those days, I would have approached it this way. But now because I became committed, my, and sometimes even when you are changing, you you don't see that you are changing. No. It's people who are outside. It's like when you when you are with children and it's your own child and the person will be growing, growing, you don't see. But somebody who has not seen the child for like two, three years, hey, the child has really grown. What has she been eating? That's how it is all, it is always with us. When we are doing it, we are, because we are so much into it, we are so much into the word, we are so much into prayer, we are so much into service, we are so much into diligence, we are so much into faithfulness, we are so much into this, we are so much into it. It becomes like a routine and part of our lives. So we ourselves, we really don't see that there is any change but people can tell. People like the servant would be able to say, mm, this person, there's a change. And in fact, even at our workplaces and among our colleagues, they begin to see it in a different light. Because we are changing. We are transforming. Say, hey, you. Now it's like the way you talk, the way you do your things, it's not, it's not, it's not like before. And when we talk about anointing, anointing is not just healing the sick and, and opening the eyes of the blind. Because some of the character traits that we have, it is only the anointing that can cause us to change. It's not like, oh, and when you talk about anointing, we just want, oh, I see you. Can you come? Were you born on? No. Oh, that, that one is also part of the anointing. But in, in fact, in ourselves and our character, we really need the anointing to change. Because some of us have read 32 ways of not being, doing this again. We've all done it. We've done, oh, I've gone for the book, I've read it, I've done it, go back, do the same. Done this, done that, stop, go back, do the same. But because of the robbing ourselves with God, because when you become so close with somebody, it's either the person picks your character trait 
or you pick the character traits of the person. You get it. But when it comes to God, God is not going to pick anything from you. If we are only humble enough, we see that we will pick a lot. You get it? And we become close. And our lives and our ways will be changed. Because I always tell people that, you see, all of us look very beautiful and very nice. All of us have our own small, small issues. That sometimes when you come to church, you might not even say, talk about it. But if you, if, you, if you realize that, and if you are being candid to yourself, and you've been around for like four, five, or maybe three years, two years, one year, you yourself, and if you, sometimes you just have to sit down and consider, do the before and after analysis. You get to know that even though it has not been very dramatic change, but there's a change. And those ones are the anointing of God that is on our life that is causing things to change. Amen. Amen. So you and I, we are anointed. It's not big, we don't, when we say anointing, we are not just talking about pouring oil and bathing people. No. no. Anointing is also the ability to do the things that we could not do before. Amen. That one too is anointing. Amen. 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 The third one, when you become committed, is that we get the attention of God. We get attention. We get attention. We get attention. We get attention. You see, when Jesus came on earth, he had a very, very busy itinerary. Very, very, very busy itinerary. And it was not easy to get his attention. At all. So, the people, different people use different strategies to get the attention of Jesus. But one of the sheer ways of getting undivided attention of Jesus was commitment. You know, the blind man, what's his name? Uh, Batinos. He was shouting. He was just shouting, shouting. He was not really committed. He just saw him passing and he decided to. The woman with the issue of blood was not committed. So she had to use her faith and just try and touch the hem of the garment. But there were some people that were committed. And their commitment was the ones that was doing the talking for them. And the commitment was the one of the things that made them get the attention of Jesus. Luke chapter 7. Verse 1 to 6. Luke chapter 7, verse 1 to 6. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly. This is the thing that I like so much. He said, and when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one to, for whom he should do this was deserving. The one that we are coming to plead on his behalf. In fact, he needs your undivided attention. Why? Verse 5. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. In our modern terms, he has built us a church. Look at what Jesus did. Then Jesus went with them. Jesus straight away. You remember at a point when Lazarus was sick. What did Jesus do? He said, I'll come. Some three, four days later. This one. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from them, the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy 
black, that, that's nowhere that continuous and, and faith issue comes in. But the part that I'm interested in is when they said, Lord, this man, he is deserving of your attention. Your attention. And I believe strongly that, you know, anytime Jesus, if you read Mark chapter 1 verse 35, the Bible will say, a little while before day, Jesus will get up early, go and pray. Then when you, you do that, you tell his disciples, we are going to Capernaum. We are going to here. So which presupposes that Jesus always had an itinerary. He knew where he was going. And he knew where he wanted to be at every point in time. It's like, maybe you plan your day and say, that, oh, from 8 to 12, I'll be at my workplace. From 12 to 1, I'll be on break. From 1, I'll leave and go to some place. And suddenly, something comes in. Most times, the things that come in, that will cause you to change your itinerary. It is either it is so important to you, or it, the person that to which it concerns is so important to you. Or so in this case, Jesus had planned his day. He was going about to do what he wanted to do. He gets to this place. The elders come to him and tell him that Jesus, the one that we are coming to speak on his behalf, he is deserving. He is deserving. Why? Because he has built us a synagogue. He has built us a synagogue. He has been committed so much that he has built us a synagogue. He has built us a synagogue. You to as you build something for God in his house, you will get the undivided attention of Jesus. The undivided attention. Because the Bible says that just when they said that, Jesus said, okay, oh yeah. <laughs> Let's go. And Jesus left everything and decided to go with them. Undeserved. We get the attention of Jesus. We get the attention of Jesus. Luke chapter 4. Remember I told you that Jesus had a very, very tight itinerary. But look at the case of Peter. Luke chapter 4 verse 38 and 39. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with high fever and they made requests for him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and saved them. Amen. You see, when we are committed to God, everything that concerns us, God is interested. In this case, it is, you know, the Bible made it so clear. It said it is Peter's, mad, Peter's wife's mother. It's a very long chain. It's not anything about Peter. It's about Peter's wife's mother. Or, yes, Simon's wife's mother. So it's like third relation to uh, Peter. But Jesus was interested. Why? Because Peter was committed to him. Once we are committed, everything, everything around us, everything, our car, our house, our family, our business, our education, everything that is around us, Jesus is committed. And if you want to know how, you know, if you are working with a boss that you are so committed to, or you are working with a manager that you are so committed to, suddenly, the manager becomes interested in your life. Have you realized? At a point, you get to a point, the person, oh, so how is, how is your wife? How is your children? Do you know why he's interested in that? He knows that once he becomes interested in that, you will be at a stable place to do his work. That's why he's interested. Because, like, maybe if he's not, if at the same workplace, the manager might decide to be interested in the life of certain people who are very close to him. And others, he will not be interested. Why? Because these people, 
whether they are here or not, we can easily replace them. If they leave today, we can get somebody tomorrow to start work. But you know that with you, if you leave, there is the person that is coming, you have to train the person for almost six months. Train the person, be around him, coaching him, do this, do that, send the person to London for a refresher course. Do, it's a long process. So for you, he wants to be committed to you. Not just for the f- sake of being committed to you, but because you are also committed to him. You get it? So if Jesus wants Peter to follow him everywhere he's going, and Peter has an issue with the wife's mother, probably because of the issue with the wife's mother, Peter might say, that, oh, today I want to ask for leave because my wife's mother is not feeling well and I have to be in the house. So in order to, for Jesus to avoid that, I'll do it myself for you, don't worry. Can you imagine the number of things that the number of things that we ourselves are trying to solve that Jesus, if Jesus decided to come and do it first? Remember, if he is doing it, the pace and the way it will be done is way different from the way we will do it. Because if uh, Peter's wife's mother is sick, what can Peter go and do? Peter will just go and, d- and be around. Be around just to show that he cares. But that one is not going to heal the woman. No. Have you realized? That one is not going to heal the woman. But the ultimate solution comes from Jesus, who we are committed to. Amen. Amen. The fourth one. So the first one is what? Our lives are transformed. The second one, we become anointed. The third one, we get attention. We get attention. We get attention. We get attention. Get attention. The fourth one. We covenant with God by our commitment. We covenant. And you know, covenant is a very strong word. It's a very, very strong word. We covenant with God. You know when you say covenant, it's like we bond. We like it's like we are glued together. It's like there is something that causes him to always be around us or do something for us. When we are committed to him, Psalm 50, verse 5. Psalm 50, verse 5. Gather my sins together to me, those who have made covenant with me by sacrifice. Those who have made covenant. You know, like most times when you say covenant, it's like you've, you've intentionally done it. And it's like you've intentionally, maybe you say that, oh, I'm going to sow this seed and I'm going to do it and covenant to do it like an intentional act. But this one, you see, when you are doing the thing that you are doing around in church, or you become committed to God, you don't see it as commitment. You don't, sorry, you don't see it as covenant. But with God, God is seeing that because of this thing that you are doing, you are covenanting with him. You are actually creating a bond with him by your commitment. So, you see, the commitment, sometimes, the benefits that are in it are a lot more. A lot a lot. There's a lot that we get by virtue of us being committed. Amen. Amen. The fifth one. The fifth one. So the fifth one is we covenant with God by our commitment. The fifth one is that it serves as a memorial or a lasting legacy. It serves as a memorial. It serves as a memorial. It serves as a memorial. 
You know, in this church, you see this one and that one. They are names of people. And there was another one here that built the church. Even that one is earthly legacy or earthly memorial or earthly something that people will use to remember. But by virtue of our service, it's a memorial. When you say something, it's a, it's a legacy. Not just for people to see because I don't want us to concentrate on the pleasing or letting people see that. No. Yes, because by virtue of you being committed, people will see that you are committed. But our interest is not people because our rewarder is not people. People is not going to be a rewarder. Because remember people at a point today we are God bless you. The next time they change. But God is not a man. So I want us to concentrate on our commitment and the benefits that we are going to get from God rather than from people. Amen. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Verse 6 to 13. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table but when his disciples saw it they were very indignant saying why this waste for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor but when Jesus were when Jesus was aware of it he said to them why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me, you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my memorial, for my burial, sorry. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done, will also be told as a memorial for her. Amen. Amen. And today, the prophecy is also being enforced. Actually, today too, you are mentioning it. And I know that there are churches across the world that will use today this scripture to, to preach. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So it is what a memorial... He said what this woman has done. What this woman has done. It is a memorial. A memorial. You know, sometimes... The memorial, you see, it, it, it will be something that you alone will not benefit to, but your children's children will benefit. What David did, anytime any of the kings wanted to do anything and God wanted to punish them, what would God say? But for your father David, but for your father David, but for your father David, even if he will punish them, he will reduce the punishment. It served as a memorial. So it's not just for our benefits. It's not just for our... Sometimes, even ourselves, we might not get a lot of benefit in it. There was one research that was undertaken. I've forgotten. They took two men. One man was a man of God and was working in the house of God and all that. And they took another man who was a murderer or whatever. And they traced their generation for 13 years. For 13 generations. Like, very far. Like, I think the person was born in 16-something. And they traced the man's genealogy. This side, a lot of them, pastors, lawyers, doctors, that, that, this side too. 
murderers, rapists, this, that, that, that. You see, whatever you're doing, it is being served as a memorial. A memorial. Sometimes you see, some of the things, you see that, oh, this pastor's or this person's children are that way, that way. But because of their father, God is too, God's eye is still on them. God will always want to be, because of what the father did, God cannot easily forget. So because of that, God is still watching, even though the children as are now are not living a life that they are supposed to live. But God is still watching them because the father's, the father's sacrifice and the father's commitment is forever standing as a memorial to me. And because of that, even though their children will not do the right thing, I will bless them. That's how come, you see, there are two people. One, all of them are doing bad things. One person will be blessed. Another person, you don't understand. Or you don't realize. You say, oh, we are, but we are all doing the same thing. Suddenly, this person will be blessed. This one, let's, that's why you don't copy blindly. We don't copy any, we don't say, that, oh, this person did so I'm going to do it. No. Because you don't know where the person is coming from. Maybe some of us, our background is with some full of idol worship and stuff. There's no memorial. The only memorial that's been set is bad memorial. So already we have to break and start. So if we have to break and start, then we have to do more. But some people, they, you know, and, and, and a typical example is the European countries in Africa. You see, now we say that, oh, these white people, they don't serve God. Don't, don't get it twisted. The memorial that John Wesley and all those people set for them, they are still enjoying what memorial do some of us have now? It was idol. It's not that we are breaking and trying to build. It's not the same. So if some people are enjoying some level of benefit, and so, you know, that, and, and this white people is like this, don't go to church, but still, there's a, there's a memorial and some sacrifices that their forefathers and their ancestors did for them. It's still speaking. And God is, you know, God is, God always watches over his word to perform. He's always doing that. He's always watching. He's not going to change what he says. So even if the generation that comes might decide to change, or decide to do anything. But God is still glued to them. God, God still wants to keep his way. So it's also a message for you and I. Probably, maybe we don't have a memorial that we are coming from. That will speak for you. That's why some people say, oh, where, me, where I come from, where I come from, where I come from. The story can change from today. We can also start and change something else. So that our children, our children's children, and our children's children's children come and say, that my, my great-grandmother or my great was serving God. And because of that, all of us have been blessed. Amen. It's like an investment. Amen. We might not yield the results now by ourselves, but I'm telling you, it will speak. It will speak. It will speak. David sacrificed, spoke for Solomon, and spoke for a very lot of people. And most of the time, God wants to do anything, say that, but for your, but, but for your your father David. Abraham as well. The things that Abraham did spoke for Isaac. You think that Isaac was a very, uh, was a very, very righteous person all true and true. Look at Jacob. True and true. No, it's not. No, no, not at all. Isaac gave his wife to a king and said that, oh, it's my sister, just as his, his father did. Look at Jacob. Look at even Esau. You know, sometimes it, you say that Esau, Esau was blessed even though he did not get the blessing, he did not get the blessing from Isaac, his father. But Esau was blessed. Just that he did not get the blessing, that genealogical blessing. But Esau was blessed. Even though he went about marrying the Canaanite and everything, by virtue of reference point, Abraham. But remember that, you see, 
Abraham started it himself because Abraham's father did not have any memorial. Abraham was the one that started. And from Abraham, all the rest were blessed. So with us too, even though some people did whatever they did, we too can be like Abraham in our families and start from today and say that me too, I'm going to be committed. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to do what he says we should do. Then from us, we too become the reference point. We, we become the reference point. That is how our, and you see, most times it is the normal everyday thing that we do in the house of God. That sometimes we don't see it to be powerful. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible and you talk about the story of Abraham, everything has been clamped together. Because somebody who died at the age of 185 or so, when he started working with God, was 70. How many? The story can we tell from 70 to 185? Which book? So it's like the highlights. It's the highlights. It's the highlights of it that is put together. So sometimes when you read the Bible, it's like it's from success to success, victory to victory, and it's like, ah, so why am I not living the life? Take it cool. There was nobody's life. Even when you read the last part of John, he said that if we're supposed to tell all the things that Jesus did, no book on earth or no place on earth could contain it. So it's just the highlights. So if you're having low days today, that's not me that God is not with us. The highlight, if, for instance, you're supposed to come and talk about your highlights, you won't get something similar to what happened in the Bible. So that everybody has norm, normal of, of ordinary days. Abraham did have ordinary normal days where he was depressed. Normal, ordinary. Amen. So I want to encourage all of us that our service to God, eh, our service is, is a great, great, great memorial. It's a great memorial. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. You know, this guy was not, during those days, they, they started separating the Jews and the Gentiles. Cornelius was a Gentile. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So he probably was from Italy. A devout man, take word, note of that, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. Your service, your worship, your devotion, your faithfulness, your giving, your hours has come up before God as a memorial. And in this country, we appreciate it more. Do you know why? Because in this country, we, our time is money. Oh yes, a lot of places, the time is for money. Because you are paid per month. So per month, you don't know per hour. Even some places, the minimum wage is for a day. So it's not like, so that's why I come, the respect for time is not there. But in this country, you know that when you work one hour, you get 20 pounds, so you know. So like now that we are in church like this, if I had decided to go for work and it is a Sunday, it will be times two. So if I get 20 pounds an hour, now I'm getting 40, right? Times the number of hours, right? Yes. So even our service, our presence here, it's a commitment. Yes. Because you could have decided to go to work. Yeah. Yes. 
So, all these things that we are doing is a memorial. It, it, is, it is a memorial that we are. And we want to continue, continue to do it. Do it. Do it. But as I always say, one of the things that makes it very normal, it's like it seems very ordinary, very normal. Don't be deceived. That is how God does it. Ordinary, normal. Sometimes we are, we are, we are stressed. Sometimes we are down. We are, we are this. We are that. Normal. That is how God works it. Don't you know? Sometimes we talk about commitment. You want, and you are gingered up. You go. You want to serve God and you want miracles and signs and wonders and deliverance to be happen left, right, center. It does happen. But on most of the days, it's normal. No man coming to church. No man coming for Wednesday service. No man coming for prayer meeting. Sometimes it's like you are even praying, but you don't think you are hearing from God. No man. No man. You just be doing the thing. Like you do it. Because you know, now in our world, we've, we've made like how to hear from God very strange. You know, like you have to be, find yourself in a very strategic place. And God will come in the cool of the day and come and minister to you. Said to their head from God. And you see, God speaks to us every day. Every day. In the book of 1 Samuel, when God came and was calling Samuel, he called Samuel. Samuel went to early. He called Samuel. Samuel went to early. He called Samuel. Samuel went, Why do you think Samuel was going to early? Because that, I think that God's voice was like the voice of early. But because if it's not early, if it's not the voice of early, why do you think Samuel will go to early? So the man of God, being the man of God, said that when God speaks, tell him that speak your servant here. So sometimes you see, God speaks to us by Reverend Chris. He speaks to us like you come to church like this and he's speaking to you. But he said, oh, it's Amanda speaking to me. And you want some strange way and you want some deep voice to come to our, our room or to in our dream or something. Like, oh, God is speaking. Sometimes God is speaking to us like God spoke to Samuel. Speaking to us through the man of God. But you, you'll be like, oh, I don't think God speaks to you that way. You know, we have our own way and we want to box God in it. God doesn't, God, we cannot box God. God doesn't operate that way. He does what he wants to do. Let's open ourselves up. And when you do that, you see that God will speak to us through a lot of ways. Amen. Amen. The last one that I want us to consider is that our commitment our commitment becomes our bargaining chip or our prayer reference point. You know, when you, are, when, you are, when, you are, when you are talking to somebody or you are dealing with somebody, for instance, maybe if I want a hundred pounds from Prince and Prince begins to behave some way, I'll be like, but you, the last time, remember I gave you 20 pounds. So why are you not, why don't you want to give me the hundred pounds? Because I will give to you at the end of the day. The same thing is with commitment. The same thing is with commitment. It becomes our bargaining chip. When you go to God and you don't have anything to say, you know sometimes you are so down, you don't know what to tell God. You are so down. The only thing that comes is crying. You are so down. You, don't, you, you just don't know what to say again. you can go to God and say, God, please look at my heart. Look at how I've been, this one is not pride though. Look at how I've been committed to your cause. Look at how I've given myself to you. Look at how I've decided to do it. That was not me initially. But now I've changed. Please, can you look on this and change this for me? 
And I'm telling you, God, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it said, God is a rewarder of them, of them, of them, that diligently seek him. God rewards. If you want anybody who is a paymaster, a pay, a paymaster, somebody who pays, not those who work in the payroll offices that pay every month and deduct HRM and all those things by the time the money comes, it's finished. If you want somebody who pays without tax or NHS, it's God. God, God, and if all of us were supposed to give testimonies now of how God opened some door for us, you see that he did it without tax. He did it wholeheartedly. And most times we can go to God in our prayer. Our prayer point is that God, please. You, say, you told me to serve you. I've been serving you. You told me to do this. I've been doing it. You remember Rahab? When the spies came to the land, you told them that I will, I'm going to do this on this condition that myself and my family will be saved. That's, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the only reason why I'm going to do it. It's not pride though. But sometimes it has to get to that point. Whereby our commitment, our involvement in the thing now becomes our gaining chip. You get it? Because sometimes if you don't know anything to say, those are some of the things that we have to say. Amen. Isaiah chapter 38. 1 to 6. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, That says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the hall and prayed to the Lord. And said, remember now. You see, it has not, it's not like God has no know. But sometimes you have to remember yourself and remember God, even though God knows. Said, remember now, O Lord, I pray. How I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. And I've done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. See the response. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah. That says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely. I will add to your days 15 years. Amen. You see, one of the ways of getting responses is when you throw your, you throw your this thing in and tell God, God, you see, when the man of God came, the king would have said, that, oh, what did I do? Can you go and tell God? You know, sometimes you just have to go past all these titles and all these prophets and bishops and, and you go yourself. You know sometimes when you want to tell a story, to some, for instance, if I want to tell Nancy something and I tell Christelle, Christelle will tell Nancy but it might be a reported speech. You get it? Sometimes, we, 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 yes, men of God, sometimes talking to them and making them pray for you is good. But sometimes, as desperate as you want the thing. Because the way you, you know, the way you feel it, it's not the same way others feel it too. And that's how they will get it to you. Like, you talk to the person, say, oh, I'll, I'll be praying with you. I'll be. Sometimes they do pray, but sometimes they don't do. At all. You don't. So in this case, 
the prophet decided, okay, you finish. Have you, you, you said, God said, I, sh- I will die, right? Okay, God bless you, you can go. Went straight to his room, turned his way to the wall. And was talking to God. And said, God, can you go to the next verse? verse is it 55 or 4? said, God, remember now, oh Lord. I think this too can be our prayer. Oh Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a lawyer heart. You see, you can only be praying such prayers when you've done it. You cannot, because God knows it. You see, it is here and it's there. God, God, God sees the marking scheme. So as you are praying, he's taking, what the guy is saying is true. You cannot go and lie. Say that, oh, it's not, it's not like God was not there when you did it. So you come and say, oh, I did it, I did it, I did it. The CCTV of God is on your life, so he knows. <laughs> Amen. And he said, I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. And I have done what is good in your sight. Prayer finished. Not three hours. Prayer finished. The next one, there's a response. You see, and God has a sense of humor. Told the same man of God who feels so good that I've come to tell the king that he's going to die. Go back, go back, go back. Go and tell him that me, I'm telling him that I've added 50 years. Amen. So I want to encourage all of us that from the first point that we notice that we don't necessarily need any qualification. We don't need any, we don't need to be in a certain space. Because you see, the workforce, one of the, one of the ways we are able to know a big company from a small company is the workforce. Even now, we have technology, we have everything. Let's say if you go to, I like law things, so I will use law. If you go to a law firm, right, that has 500 lawyers. And you go to another law firm that has 10 lawyers. You cannot tell me they are the same. And say that, oh, uh, because of technology, these two law firms are given. It is not. There are certain cases that will come to these 500 people. Because 10 people, what can you do? Because in the 500, we'll be able to get different specialties. Maybe some people will do, some people will do with, with divorce. Some people will do with this. Some people will do with litigation. Some people will do that, blah, 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 blah. Then it will form a, a very strong team. 10. What will happen is that among the 10, one person will do migrate, will do, will do uh, immigration, will do litigation, will do this, will do that. So that it, the, the same people will be, it's like all play all. You get it? And even now, if you look at the good teams and the bad teams, good teams have people who do one team, one team, just one, just one, just one. And that's how, that's where the church should also come to. Whereby all of us are in it. All of us. All of us. Even, you know, the restaurants that we go to, these, you know, let me take McDonald's and take another, one of these Asian restaurants that have like two people. They are also doing the same thing that McDonald's is doing, you know. But you see that when you go there, just when you order your food, McDonald's, especially when you are doing drive through you order, by the time your car moves here, it's about 30 seconds, your food is ready. But this one, you, you virtually see Mr. Mr. A doing it with, Mr. A, with his son. So that you'll be standing there and you see the food being done. It is not the same process. So I want to encourage all of us that let us all put our hands to the plow. And I like it how now everybody's trying to do something. But I want to encourage those of us that have yet not found something. First and foremost, commitment to God. 
which is very, very important. Then you find something to do. You find, you lay your hand, you lay your hand practically, practically on something. And I know that God will bless you. Can we be on our 